Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bible and open it to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Not 1 John in the back, but John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you're a first time, first time reading the Bible, the when I say chapter 8, 8 are the big numbers typically in a Bible. And then when I say verse 12, John 8, 12, the 12 is a small number. So we're going to look at John 8, verses 12 through 20, before we go back to the Old Testament, an Old Testament series next Sunday. So John 8, verses 12 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I do testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the father who sent me. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Then they asked him, where's your father? You know neither me nor my father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my father. He spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple. But no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Father in heaven, we've sung it and now we pray it in words. Open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see you. We want to see the Lord Jesus high and lifted up. We want to see his light. We want to see him shining in his glory. So, Lord, give us, impart to us your light, your life, and your love. That we would rejoice and be glad all of our days. Incline our hearts to your testimony, not to material gain. Guard us from Satan who would like to take these thoughts that we're about to think out of our minds immediately. Help us, Lord, to endure trials that would seek to distract us and make the Bible seem like it's not worth it. Guard us from the pleasures of this world, which you've given and made. Guard us from idolizing them to the point where we are distracted and Christ seems less valuable than he actually is. We ask for your help now. Help me to preach. Help us to hear. Because apart from you, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing except waste our time and think we're growing in Christ when we're really growing in knowledge and pride. So humble us now. We need you to supernaturally and powerfully work in us. 
We're desperate for you. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the light of your life right now, in this season of your life? What is the light of your life in this season, today, this past week, this next coming week or so? For me lately, it was the Los Angeles Lakers. So I wear this shirt intentionally because the, one of the bright lights in my life lately has been the LA Lakers. It has taken up my time, my emotions, and my mental energy. The Dodgers are starting to do that a little bit right now, especially after last night. I'm not as big of a Dodger fan as I, as I am a Laker fan because I like basketball far more than baseball, but still I'm an LA guy. So I'm a Dodger fan as well, but it has taken up time and mental energy. What is the light of your life lately that has guided your thoughts, your feelings, your daydreaming, your fears? Is it politics? There's an election coming up soon. If you haven't heard, is it family? Is that what takes up your time? Is it health, your physical health, your fitness, your diet, your career? Maybe financial security is your light lately that has consumed the bulk of your thoughts and feelings. Maybe it's companionship, perhaps a relationship or a set of relationships. It can be influence. It, it can be control. It can be church. What are you looking for ultimately for your guidance and the goal setting? What are your goals this week? What do you got going on this week, guys? What, what are you looking forward to? And hoping for what are you burdened by and where are you looking in those burdens for your light lately we all want to follow the true light we don't like living in darkness we want light so that we can have so that we can enjoy life so that we can enjoy security and peace and even have passion we want to live life to the full we don't want to live life like zombies in gloominess but we often follow the wrong lights. There are all kinds of lights that would vie for our attention and our devotion. And because of the many lights and because we often follow wrong lights, we get derailed from our path and from our purpose in life. When we get derailed, we get troubled with guilt or shame or anger or disappointment. Sometimes we might feel like hypocrites the good news is that we don't have to be in the dark with our lives. We don't have to be in the dark, live life practically in the darkness, leading to pain, leading to disappointment, leading to regret, or even living for short-lived pleasures. Fading lights like a Los Angeles Lakers 2020 pandemic championship. It was great. Was that two weeks ago now? Not even fully two weeks ago. On a Sunday night, we saw the fireworks, right? Popping up for those who were here. That was great. It's not that joyful today. I'd rather, much rather have it not rain than, than care about a Laker championship. So we jump from fading light to fading light to fading light in our lives. And Jesus claims here in this passage that he is the light of the world. So let me just summarize a story and then we'll, we'll start to work through it. Jesus makes an audacious claim. I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, 
but we'll have the light of life. They hear that audacious claim and they say, that's not true. You can't just testify about yourself. Anyone can claim to be the light. You're claiming to be the light. That's invalid. You need at least two witnesses. Jesus says, you don't know me. You don't know where I come from and where I'm going. If you did, then maybe you could say something, but you don't. And about the two or three witnesses, I'm not the only one who judges. My father judges with me. And they say, where's your dad then? And Jesus says, you don't know me or my dad. And that's the end of the conversation. That's our text for today. That's the story. That's a summary of the conversation. We're really going to follow a conversation this morning. But let's let's pause. And let's take at least take the next five or seven minutes here, perhaps, to, to reflect on verse 12 before we even jump into our outline of the text. Jesus makes an audacious claim, a bold claim. I am the light of the world. Anyone of the 7.5 billion people who live on the earth today, anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. That's an audacious claim. I mean, if I stood up here and said to you, brothers, sisters, I haven't preached here for four Sundays. Now I'm back. I have a big announcement for you guys. I am the light of the world. PJ Tobian is the light of the world. If you follow PJ Tobian, you'll never walk in darkness. But if you don't follow and devote your life to PJ Tobian, you'll walk in darkness for the rest of your life into eternity. If I said something like that, or if anyone said something like that, you would think they're crazy. If I said something like that, you would have a members meeting, special called members meeting, right? <laughs> Pretty soon. So fire me and you should. Or at least, yeah, well, to fire me from my position and then try to restore me and call me to repentance, right? As a member of the church. Because that is an audacious claim for anyone to make. I am the light of the world. You have to orient your whole life around me if you want to get out of the darkness and have the light of life. There's only one way, one light, me. That's what Jesus is claiming. That's pretty audacious. Now, he's claiming this. In John chapter 7, we find out that he's claiming this in the midst of a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a celebration in Jerusalem. Jesus was there. He came a little bit late. Everyone was looking for him. He came later intentionally. He got there. He started teaching. And as he was teaching, crowds came around him. They wanted to arrest him, but they couldn't. The guards were just so mesmerized by his words that they refused to arrest him. And the Pharisees still want to arrest him. Now, in this Feast of Tabernacles, Jerusalem had many lights lighting up the whole city. The Mishnah, a Jewish um, body of writing, says this. There was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect the light of the Beit Hasha'uvah. That's a celebration. Now, this isn't speaking of the first century per se, but the point is that in Jerusalem, when there is this festival of tabernacles, the whole place is lit up. One commentator says this, great candles lit up the courtyards of Jerusalem every night during the festival. Every courtyard was lit up. Now, this is not a big, big deal to us. We have street lights, we have electricity, but in a pre-electricity age, when there is no electricity, that's a big deal. To have light at night, where your whole city is lit up, that every courtyard at night is lit up, that's rare. That's a rare season of life. I mean, during this time, during the festival of tabernacles, Jerusalem, with every courtyard lit up, it is literally the most lit time of year. It's lit up. Light everywhere. And in the midst of this, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. What does light do? Light keeps us out of the darkness. Light enables us to live. Light 
does enable us to live. It gives us life. If the sun, which is our greatest light here on planet Earth, if the sun wasn't here, then we would be dead, right? The sun gives heat. If the sun was a little bit further, we would freeze to death. Some of you wish the sun was out right now. The sun gives, the sun gives light and life to plants. If there, was, if there was no sun, there would be no green plants. If there are no plants, then there would be no oxygen and air cycle, and we would die of a lack of oxygen. The sun also, by having plants and giving life to Earth, provi provides um, fossil fuel. It's an energy source. Without the light, we're dead. Without light, we're blind. Without light, we're lost. Only Our eyes only see because it sees the light. Now let's think about light in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what was his first, on the first day of creation, he said, let there be light. And there was light. He created light in the beginning. And then if you go further on in the Bible story, during the 10 plagues, the ninth plague, when they would not let Israel go, when Pharaoh would not let, let Israel go, um, there was darkness that covered the whole land for three days. Imagine pitch black darkness for three days. Not being able to even see your hand in front of you. Your eyes can't even adjust a little bit to the light. There is no light. Pitch black for three days. It says in Exodus that the darkness was so dark that you could feel the darkness in your soul. That's part of God's judgment on Egypt. Darkness to the depths of their soul. Then God would lead Israel out of Egypt in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud of Shekinah, of God's Shekinah shining glory throughout the day. And then when the tabernacle would be set up in a tent, the Shekinah glory of God would be there in the Holy of Holies, lighting up the camp at night for Israel. And when the temple was built, God's cloud of glory, the shining forth of God, um, dwelt and inhabited the, the temple after Solomon built that. So God's glory, God's light, God's shining for his people has always been there. But then the, the glory of God left the temple and the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians and the people of God were exiled out of the promised land into what the prophets call darkness and gloom. There would be darkness and gloom over the people of God and really over the whole world as Israel is exiled out of the land. Even when Israel comes back into the land, they're still in darkness and gloom, waiting for a Messiah to bring light from Galilee, as the prophet said. Before this, or about this darkness and about this gloom in exile, Isaiah prophesies in chapter 49, verse 6, that light would come. He says, I will make you, my servant, as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And then Isaiah prophesies, this is 700 years before Jesus, about the end of the world. This is what he says in Isaiah 60, verses 19 and 20. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall, be the, moon, shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. No more sun, no more moon, no more gloom, no more mourning, no more pain, no more hospitals, no more funerals, no more locks on your door, no more suspicion of other people, no more sin, no more death, no more darkness. No more gloom, light, not from the sun, not from the moon, 
but from the glory of God himself, lighting up our lives and our world forever and ever and ever. This is the promise that Isaiah has given to the people of God 700 years before Jesus came. And Jesus comes and says, I am the light of the world. Now, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it's not just this story of light that began in creation and is prophesied and promised to the end in the new creation. There's even an illusion here that Jesus is saying, in a sense, that he's God. He's saying that he's God. He's alluding to that. When he says, I am, who's, who, whose name is I am that I am? God, right? Yahweh. That's God's name. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Not many people claim to be the light. But Psalm 27.1, come back tonight as Ross preaches Psalm 27.1, but here's what David says. The Lord, Yahweh, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Sam read that for us this morning. The Lord is my light. Yahweh, God is light, is our light and salvation. And now Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus, are you claiming to be Yahweh? Are you claiming to be God? He is, I believe. Now, let's go back to John 8, verse 12. Look at it again with me. Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. Notice what he says here. He says, I am the light of the world. I'm not a light of the world, one of many lights. I'm not the greatest light of the world. I'm not the greatest light in your life. I'm not a light in your life and a light in the world. No, I am the light of the world. The only light of the world, exclusively. Jesus is the only true light in the world. That's what he's claiming. Now you might say, Jesus, that's ridiculous. The sun is shining. How can you claim that? We're in the festival of tabernacles. There's lights everywhere. How can you be the light of the world? That makes no sense. Clearly, you're not the light of the world. There's a lot of other lights here. Are you that candle? Are you the sun? Are you the moon? How can you say you are the light of the world? Is Jesus wrong to say that he's the light of the world? What do you think? Is he wrong? No, you know that as Christians. Well, how is he not the light of the world if there's other lights? Here's the way I would put it together. Jesus is the only true light that all other lights reflect if they are to actually be lights. I'm not saying that just spiritually. I'm even saying physically. Jesus is the light of the world such that all true lights are only lighting because they are deriving from Jesus, who is the source of all true light. It's kind of like how the moon gives light at night. A full moon gives light at night. Does the moon generate its own light? Does it produce its own light? No. What does it do? It reflects the light of the sun. The sun generates its own light. And from its light, the moon reflects its light. Well, what I'm saying is even the sun, with the light it genera generates, is like the moon is derivative and reflecting the light of the sun. So are all other lights in the world derivative, bringing forth the light that's produced by Christ. Even when Jesus, when God said, let there be light before the sun was even created, by the way, that was day four when the sun was created. When, when Jesus, when God says, let there be light, he creates with his word and light comes from the word of God. And this is John. We're talking about John seven or John eight in John one, one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the only true light in your life. You have all kinds of lights in your life. I mean, I, we hope that the church can be some sort of light in your life. I hope as a brother in Christ, as a pastor, as a preacher of God's word, that I can be somewhat of a small light in your life. 
But let's not mistake smaller lights for the light of the world, Jesus. And let's understand that all other lights are only a derivative reflection of Christ's light. Even the LA Lakers. You can get a little bit of joy from that or from other things in life. But if you make that the light of your life, you're in darkness. So here's the main idea. If you ain't following the true light, then you're doomed to the dark of night. If you ain't following the true light, then you're doomed to the dark of night. John makes a big deal of darkness. He makes a big, a big deal of night. We don't want to walk in darkness. We don't want to walk in the night. So we need to follow the true light. Now, why should we follow the true light? Why should we follow Jesus as the, as the true light? I have in this text, or I've seen this text, four reasons to follow the true light. The first reason is in verse 12. And that's really focusing on the benefit of following Jesus as the true light. Then I have three other reasons. I think uh, John lays out here through this conversation, three other reasons why Jesus is the light that you should follow. And these are more reasons to have to do with the validity of his claim. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. They say, no, you're not. And he says, yes, I am. How do we know his claim is valid? We know for three reasons of validity, which we'll look at in verses 13 through 20. All right, so let's go through these one at a time when we look at Jesus as the true light of the world. First, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in what? Darkness, but have the light of life. Okay, so there's the first reason. Why should you follow Jesus as the light of life, the light of your life? So that, um, or if you do, you'll never walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. That's reason number one. Because you will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's what Jesus said. You'll never walk in the darkness, but you'll have the light of life. Now, when Jesus talks about you never walking in the darkness, he's speaking, I would say, of a categorical change, a positional change, not a practical one. What do I mean by that? As a Christian, I can still do, I still do stupid and sinful things in my life. And when I do, I'm doing deeds of darkness. But what Jesus is saying is, PJ, if you follow me, you never walk in darkness. Even when you're doing dark things, even when you try to hide in the darkness as a Christian and hide in your sin, you're actually not in darkness, categorically speaking, positionally speaking. You never walk in the darkness. You're actually just going back to your old self, but that's not who you are anymore. If you follow Jesus, you have the light of life. You don't walk in darkness, categorically. You never walk in darkness if you follow Jesus. Acts 26, 18 says, uh, he, he calls, um, he, he, t he sets aside the apostle Paul to share the gospel. And he says, so that when you, when you preach the gospel and disciple, you do that to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's, a, that's categorically turning from darkness to light. Okay, that's what we're saying. When Jesus says you never walk in darkness, this is why you should follow Jesus. When you decide to follow Jesus, you transfer from darkness to light. Colossians 1.13 says this. Paul says, he, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, from the domain of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Before you live in a domain of darkness, and now if you follow Jesus, you never walk in the darkness. Walking in the darkness means living in the darkness categorically and positionally. Lacking the light. Lacking Jesus who is the light. 
Walking in darkness means that you love the darkness. Your love for the darkness dominates your life if you walk in the darkness. And you walk in guilt and blindness, spiritual blindness, and ultimately death. Actually, even currently death. When the Apostle Paul, let's think about this with the Apostle Paul. Before he became a Christian, what was he doing? He was a Pharisee, and then he got really zealous once the church started springing up. And what did Paul do? What did he devote his time to? Somebody. What? Persecuting and killing Christians, right? Arresting Christians and killing Christians. He devoted his life to do that because he was following what he thought the Bible said. The Hebrew Bible. The only Bible at the time. And so he devoted his life to persecuting, stopping, and killing Christians. And then what happened? He was on his way to Damascus. And God knocked him off of his horse. Christ knocked him off of his horse with a bright light. And, and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And then Paul turns to follow Jesus. When Paul turned to follow Jesus, he has never walked in the darkness after that. After Christ knocked him off, off of his horse and with, with a bright light, he transferred Paul by faith when Paul trusted in Christ and repented from his sins right there. When he converted, he was transferred from the domain of darkness into trusting, following Jesus as the light of the world. That's Paul's story. And if you're a Christian today, this is your story. We sang it as your story, did we not? I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life, where did it lead me? It led me to the? To the grave. That's our story. We're singing that as our story. That's Paul's story. If you're a Christian, that's your story. You were dead in your sins. You were blind. You were lost. You were hopeless. And then Christ, the light of the world, shone his light on you. And as you have trusted in Jesus, you have been transferred from the, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Christ, the light of the world. So Christian, thank God for your salvation. Thank him for your salvation. Church family, what does this mean for us? Listen to John 1, verses 5 and 6. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. This is John 1, 5. That God is light. 1 John 1, 5. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship or partnership with God while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So, brothers and sisters, if you're a true Christian, you don't walk in darkness. You walk in light. And if you have fellowship with God, yet you continue to walk in darkness, you're a liar. You're not a real Christian. You're a liar. That's what the Bible says. Christians walk in the light. We have fellowship with God, and we, then we have fellowship with one another. So, brothers and sisters, here's the application to the church. Bethany Baptist Church, if you're one of the 108 members of this church, we are a community, a fellowship, a partnership of light. Are we not? We are a, a, a fellowship of light. So fellowship with one another, share life, share Jesus with one another, share the light of Christ with one another, and walk in the light together. How do we do that? Confess our sins to one another. Speak the word of God to one another. Pray together. Pray in confessing our sins together, just the way our brother Bryant led us in praying this morning. Repent. Come to the light. Reprove one another. Correct one another. We need to move beneath the surface level of How's the weather? How was your week? Great questions to ask. Please continue to ask those types of questions. But then we need to ask, how's the light of your life lately? How is following Jesus, the light of the world, how's that been going lately? 
How has the temptations of darkness been waging war on your soul and becoming more alluring and strong in your life? Those are great questions to ask each other because the darkness will consume professing Christians. Fake Christians will be consumed by the darkness. And so brothers and sisters, let's fellowship in the light as fellow members. If you're not a Christian, realize that you are currently in darkness. But Jesus says he's the light of the world. If you follow him, you'll never walk in darkness, but you'll have what? According to verse 12, you'll have the what? The light of the light of life. What does that mean? That you'll have the light of life. This is the reason why you won't walk in darkness because you have the light of life. It's like, why would you walk in darkness if you had a bunch of flashlights? Just, just turn them on. You have it with you. You possess it. So Jesus is the light. And if you have him or you follow him, you won't walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life. And this is the light. When I say, when it says light of life, it's the light that produces life. It's the light that gives life. So here's what John 1, 4 says. In the word, Jesus, in him was life. And Christ's life was the light of men. So Christ is the light of the world because in Christ is life. God's very life, the knowledge and intimacy with God is in Christ. And that life in Christ was the light of men. It is the light of the world. And in it being the light of the world, when you see that light of the world and you follow that light, that light produces life in you. So it comes from the life of Jesus lighting up the world, you receiving that light, and that light now produces life in your soul in your life, in your ways, in your habits, giving you eternal life. So Jesus' light gives us life in the, way, in the way that's opposite of death in darkness. When we die, we're buried typically in a tomb, and nobody lights up the tomb. You don't ask for lights in your tomb. Makes no, there's no point in it. Tomb is dark. The coffin is dark. Casket is dark inside, and even if it was lit, you're dead anyways. You can't see anyways. Darkness is tied to death. Light is tied to life. And if you follow Jesus, you have the light of life. And Jesus came as a light to be believed for eternal life. That's the whole, if, you, if you're studying the book of John, and you're reading the book of John, even every sermon in John has to kind of be connected somewhat to the main goal of John, of the whole book, which is in John 20, verses 30 and 31. This is what John says about the purpose of the book. These are written, so John, John's writings, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and that by believing that Jesus is the Messiah, you may have life in his name, eternal life. So that's the whole point is to believe in Jesus so that you would have eternal life. Jesus and his words gave, give life to the dead the way it raised Lazarus from the dead. You remember when Lazarus was in the tomb and Jesus said, Lazarus come forth in his word, in the powerful effect of his word, all of a sudden light enters into Lazarus's eyes and he breathes again and he has life. That's the way God say, that's the way God raised Lazarus or resuscitated Lazarus. It's not the final resurrection of a glorified body. That's the way that God created the first creation. Let there be light. It's the way God enacts the second creation. As Sam read for us from second Corinthians four, six, when, when you get converted, it says, God says, let light shine out of darkness. When you became a Christian, I became a Christian in 1989 uh, I was talking to a fan about that story this week when I became a Christian in 1989 and I heard the gospel. God said, while I was hearing Ephesians 2, 8, 9, God was saying, let light shine out of darkness in PJ's heart. And immediately I repented from my sins and believed in the gospel. 
I saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ through the preaching of God's word, through the explanation of God's word. And just like God said, let there be light in the first creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And we are new creations because God shone light in our lives. If you're not, a, if you're a Christian who's discouraged right now, if you're going through a season of difficulty, a period of weakness, a period of stumbling, or a season of life where sin is especially attractive in your life and it seems like it has a grip on your soul, I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, Jesus is the light of the world. Keep looking to the light. He'll get you through. He'll get you through. Just keep looking at Christ as your light. Whatever difficult situation you're going through, follow him day by day. Walk with him with the church family. Christ will empower you. He will encourage you. He will help you to go on with him. And you'll never walk in the darkness. So if you're not following the true light, then you're doomed to the dark of night. The first reason why is because why, why you should follow Jesus is because you will have the light of life and never walk in darkness. The second reason. Now let's get into the let's get into the the discussion here, and we're not going to spend as mu- as long of a time. We're more than halfway done with the sermon, but let's just briefly go through three other reasons in this conversation about why Jesus's claim to be the light of the world is is a valid claim that you should stake your life on. So how do we know that his claim to be the light of the world is valid? Here's a second reason why it's valid, or first reason why it's valid, second reason why you should follow him, because Jesus knows where he came from and where he's going. That's what he says in verses 13 through 15. Jesus knows where he came from and where he's going. He knows his origin and he knows his destiny. So they say to him, Jesus, hold up, time out. You can't claim to be the light of the world because you're just testifying about yourself. Everyone knows in the court of law, you need a witness. You don't have a witness. Invalid. You're not the light of the world. And Jesus says, hold on. You don't even know me. You don't know where I came from and where I'm going. So your invalidation of my claim is invalid. I call what you're saying is invalid. I say you're invalid because you don't know where I came from and where I'm going. Where did Jesus come from? According to the gospel, according to John, where did Jesus come from? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. He was with God. He was in heaven with God, enjoying the glory as God, the son for all eternity. That's what John 17 verses four and five say. Jesus, I want to go back to the glory I had with you before the world began. That's where Christ came from. Did, did Did the Pharisees know that? Did they know that he was the eternal son of God? The word with God. They didn't know that. If they did, would they believe his claim that he's the light of the world? Sure they would. But they didn't know where he came from. They didn't know his origin. We know his origin if we read the text and believe the text. That's where Jesus was, where he came from. Where's Jesus going? He says, you guys don't know where I come from. So you you don't know me. And you don't know where I'm going. Well, where is Jesus going? We know that Jesus said in John 14... When um, he says, I'm leaving you guys to the disciples, they say, I want to go with you. Jesus says, you can't come with me now. You can come with me later. And they say, but we don't even know the way where, where you're going. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But where was Jesus going? He said in John 14, verses 2 and 3, I go to prepare a what? I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Jesus said in John 17, 4 and 5, like I said, when he was praying to God before he went back to heaven, God, give Father Give me the glory I had with you before the world began. So when Christ, when God the Son became flesh and became Jesus the Messiah, God-man, Jesus is the God-man, he has le- He left his glory in heaven, and now he's going back to his glory in heaven to be glorified and to rule as God the Son and Jesus the Messiah 
God the Son, who is Jesus the Messiah, and he's going to prepare a place for us. That's where he's going, to save his people and bring a new heaven and a new earth. Did they know that Jesus was, was going to do that? that? Did they know? Did the Pharisees know that's where he was going? No, they didn't believe that. If they did, would they believe that he's the light of the world? Yeah, probably. They believe that. So that's the point. Jesus knows his origin. He knows where he's going. And since they don't know him, they don't know where he's coming from or where he's going, they reject him. Now, some might say, um, well, think about this for a second. They don't know where Jesus is, is going, where he came from, where he's going. So what would you call that? What are they? If they don't know this detail about Jesus, they are what? Lost. But a lack of knowledge. You call that what? Ignorant. They're ignorant of where Jesus, where Jesus came from, where he's going. And yet, here, now think about this. Are they rejecting Jesus? Are they receiving Jesus? Or are they still thinking about it? Rejecting. Okay, I want you to see what's going on here. They're rejecting Jesus while they are ignorant of Jesus. In other words, they're not rejecting Jesus because of knowledge, because they've thought about it. They've already predetermined, I don't trust this guy. I don't believe him. And because they've rejected Jesus already, I mean, the, even if they're ignorant, they don't need more knowledge. They're not open to Jesus. They're not humbly trying to listen and trembling at Jesus's teaching. They've rejected Jesus. Pre, they predetermined to reject Jesus. And so they reject him. Now, some claim, some of you might claim here, some of your friends might claim who are not Christian. I have no problem with Jesus. I'm not for Jesus, but I'm not against Jesus either. I'm neutral. Well, let me say this. If you claim to be neutral to Jesus, even if you're claiming to be neutral to Jesus, you're claiming to be neutral based on your lack of knowledge of who he is. Based on your ignorance or unawareness or unbelief of who he is, you're choosing to not believe him. But but here, but let me get to the point of neutrality. Let's let's talk, let's think more about that. If you're neutral towards Jesus, you're actually against Jesus. Why? If you're saying I'm not for or against him, I'm neutral, why are you against him? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, follow me. If you say, I don't want to follow you, if Jesus says, I'm the master, I'm the Lord, follow me, and you say, I'm not against you, but I don't want to follow you either. Are you against him? I mean, are you disobeying him? Are you rejecting him? You are. Jesus, in other words, when the Lord Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, I'm the Lord of lords and king of kings, when he says that, he's making a claim on you. And for you to claim neutrality is for you to reject him as Lord of lords and king of kings and light of the world. So in other words, there is no neutrality. Now, why do they judge? Why do they decide to reject Jesus according to verse 15? What does Jesus tell us? Look at verse 15. Why do they, why do they reject Jesus? Somebody tell me, look at verse 15. Tell me, why are they rejecting Jesus in their thoughts? Why do they choose to reject him? Because what? They judge by human standards or they judge according to the flesh. What does that mean? Does anyone here have a guess what it means to judge according to the flesh? It's okay to be wrong. Just guess. You got to be loud out here. We're not indoors. Not according to God. Okay, anything else? Based on appearances, off of your feelings, okay, your own personal feelings, based on appearances, not according to God, anything else? What we want, yeah, what we want, anything else? Human traditions, okay, the human thought patterns of the day, okay, whatever is the, yeah, the cultural, uh, yeah, reigning philosophies of the day, anything else? 
Okay, the sinfulness of your own flesh. Yeah, uh, according to the flesh is another way of saying you judge according to the flesh. All of those things are generally right. I think at the most basic level, though I'm not, I, I think all of what you guys said, I would include all that. It's, it's what you see. So you judge according to what you can see. Well, I see you here. How are you the light of the world? You're not even shining right now. Like you're just there. You're, you're a human being. You're reflecting the light from the sun. You're not generating any light. How can you claim to be the light of the world? They're judging by human standards. They're only judging by what they can see, what they feel, what they already believe, what they know, the human traditions or the human religion, or even their biblical, their understanding of the Bible at that time, as they understand it, they're going off of their own fleshly human standard of what they understand. In other words, they are the cap and standard of their final judgment on Jesus. And that's why they reject Jesus. They judge according to the flesh, according to what they see, what they feel and what they understand. And to come to Jesus, you have to stop. You have to reject yourself. You actually have to reject your own standards for a second. You need to put pause on your thoughts and say, let me hear Jesus out for who he says he is. And let me think about it because I might actually be wrong. But according to human standards, we want to start with assumption that we are actually right. And so Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh. But I don't judge according to the flesh in verse 15. Verse 15 he says, I judge no one, which probably means in verse 15, I don't judge anyone according to the flesh. Okay, so there's a there's a third, the second reason why um, why we should follow Jesus as the light of the world because he knows his origin and destiny. A third reason why we should follow Jesus as the light of the world is not just because we won't walk in darkness but have light, not just because he knows his origin and destiny, but a third reason why we should follow Jesus as our light is because God the Father judges with Jesus. Verses sixteen through nineteen, God the Father judges with Jesus. Look at verse sixteen. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So Jesus is saying, I do judge, but I judge with the Father. Verse 17, even in, even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. So that's your law. That's the Old Testament. That's the Hebrew Bible. And then what's Jesus' response to that in verse 18? If that's what your law says, verse 18, I am the one who testifies about myself. And who? And the Father... Who sent me testifies about me so jesus is saying i got two witnesses me and the father stop judging according to the flesh according to what you see so jesus is appealing to the father now how did the father testify to who jesus was and is does anyone here have a guess about that i'm testifying about myself the father's testifying about me any guess on how the father what jesus means here about the father testified about me Anyone? Is that his baptism? Okay. When he, when Christ was baptized, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased at the baptism. Okay, that's a good guess. Any other guesses of how the Father testifies about Jesus? Okay, through the very authority he gave Jesus through Christ's teaching, perhaps. Old Testament prophecies through the Bible, the Scriptures. Okay, good. Anything else? Anything else? Good Friday. Okay, his death and resurrection. That's not, yes, that's not quite here at the conversation yet. He's not dead yet. But yes, eventually for us, but for them. Old Testament, okay, we have the Bible. Anything else? Through their unbelief, Through their unbelief he's the Father's testifying. <laughs> that's a good guess. I'm just asking. 
Yeah, that's a thought. Hey, throw it out there. This is how you learn, guys, by, by putting thoughts out there and then testing them. Okay. Okay, his authority to forgive sins. But how did he how did he prove his authority to forgive sins? That's Mark chapter two, one through twelve. How did he have, how did he prove he had the authority to forgive sins? At least the man who with the withered hand. By healing. Or no, it was the man who was on his bed, right? Pick up his mat. Yeah. By healing. So his works. His works testify. Yeah. And then one other one would be John the Baptist. Right? John testified about it. There's a, there's a few. In John chapter 5, verses 31 through 39, there was an earlier conversation Jesus had, and he gave these different witnesses. He says, my works testify about me. I testify about me. John testified about me. The scriptures testify about me. The Father testified about me. So if you don't believe me, believe the works I do. Now, in this conversation, which is a later conversation, Jesus does not give those that list. But we don't, I mean, when it says the Father testifies about me, I would think that it's the Father testifying through those other things. Like the, some of the things you guys mentioned. I don't know exactly what Jesus is referring to here when he says the father testifies about me, but the father is testifying through the works, through the teaching, through John the Baptist, through the Old Testament scriptures. So certainly the point here is, though I don't know exactly what he means here, which one of those, if it is one, the point Jesus is saying is trust in me. I am the light of your life. You can trust me with your life. You can trust me for guidance. You can trust me and follow me over all the other lights in your life because the father himself, God, the father has testified about me and I testify about me. It's true. It's valid. You can bank on it. Rest on it. So that's what Jesus is saying. You judge according to the flesh. I'm judging. And this is going back to Peter's point about judging according to the flesh. Not judging according to God. When you judge according to God, you listen to the Bible. You listen to the prophets. You listen to the teachers of the Bible, right? You don't discount God. You check yourself first and you put yourself on pause to think about whether you can actually be corrected. That's how we follow Christ as the light of life. So Jesus doesn't judge according to the flesh, but according to what the Father says. We too ought to judge according to what the Father says. Here's the point, brothers and sisters and friends. You have to deal with Jesus in your life. You have to deal with Jesus in your life. So what do you think about Jesus? If you're not a Christian, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about his claim to be the light of the world and the light of your life? The only true light in your life. Will you trust Jesus or will you reject Jesus? If you're not a Christian, come to Jesus. Trust him. He died for your sins and rose from the dead. Trust in Jesus as the light of your life. If you are a Christian, don't check out here because I just say that to non-Christians. If you are a Christian, is Jesus really the light of your life over your job? Over your friendships? Over your financial situation? Over your church? Over your health? Is he truly the light or is he a sub, a subordinate light to these other lights that's guiding your life? If you're not following the true light, then you're doomed to the dark of night. So why should you follow Jesus? Because you won't walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. That's the first reason. Second reason you should follow Jesus is because he knows his origin and destiny. Third reason to trust him as the light of your life is because God the Father judges and testifies with Jesus. And the last reason, the fourth reason, verse 20, last verse. Verse 20 says this, look at your Bible. John is now narrating and giving us a, an editorial comment here from the narrator. He spoke these words by the treasury, which is, okay, while teaching in the what? 
in the temple. The temple is the most lit place of all in terms of Jerusalem, especially during the, um, the, the festival. He's teaching there in the temple when he claimed this. But no one seized him. Remember, in John 7, they wanted to arrest him. The, the, the Pharisees and the high priest wanted to arrest him. But no one seized him. Why not? Because what? His hour, his moment had not yet come. Here's the fifth reason, or I'm sorry, the fourth reason why you should follow Jesus as the light of your life. Because Jesus' hour would come. John is telling you his hour hadn't come, but if you keep reading John, John is saying, hey, don't worry, his hour is coming. His hour is coming and his hour would come. And there's light there. There's light there. What is the hour that would come? Anyone? Go to John chapter 12. What is the light? What is the hour that would come? John 12, verse 23, it says this. John 12, 23. Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. So here it is. Here's the hour, the hour to be glorified. How? Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and, and what? And dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. So how is Jesus going to be glorified in this hour? By dying, by losing his life. And so Jesus says in verse 27, now my soul is troubled because my hour has come. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. Here's another testimony of Jesus. This is after the light of the world conversation. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and they said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now listen to this. Here it is. It's going to be specific now. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was going to die. When he's lifted up from the what? Lifted up from the earth. What would it mean for him to be lifted up from the earth? Hang where? On a what? On a cross. Jesus would hang on a cross. And so Jesus says, they said, how can you say the son of man would, would be lifted up? Verse 35, Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then he went away and hid from them. You have the light for a little bit longer. So Jesus is the light of the world and his hour would come. And what is that hour? The hour where he would die, hang on the cross. And in hanging on the cross, he would draw all people to himself. But how can he draw all people to himself? Isn't there John 3, 19 and 21? Look at John 3, 19 and 21. Look at John chapter 3, verse 19. Here's our problem. If Jesus is going to come and draw all people to himself, we have a problem according to John 3, 19 through 21. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved what? Darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So here's the problem. We love darkness rather than light. That's, that's our sin. That's where we're at. I mean, do we love the light? Do you love the light? If we could 
put your 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 life, even your past week, on a big screen, and just have you know, let's just put light on PJ's life or on any of your lives. And just let's just go through the life of PJ in the last week. Would you want everyone to know your thoughts and your feelings and everything you thought of this week? You'd be ashamed, right? You'd be embarrassed to be put in the light like that. We love darkness rather than light. I actually want just a little bit of light. I, you know, just a little bit. Let me confess my sins. But let me control the way I confess it so that no one else can know so I can hide in darkness. Because I don't love the light. I mean, I love a little bit of light because nobody really likes to stay in darkness forever. But I want to control the light. I want Jesus to be Lord. I just want to be Lord over his lordship. So I want his light, but I want to control his light. I want him to be my Lord as long as he lets me be his Lord. We love darkness rather than light. We are evil. We are selfish. We are self-centered. And we don't trust God to let him shine the light in our lives and put us out in the light because our deeds are evil. That's how we are apart from Christ. Verse 20 says, everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. We are sinners. We are dark. We are rebellious and selfish. And Jesus answers and says, when the hour comes, I'll be lifted up and draw all these darkness lovers to myself. How can Jesus save and draw darkness lovers to himself how would he do that jesus would be lifted up right and he would hang on the cross from 9 a.m the six, the third hour to the ninth hour but about the sixth hour which is around noon what would happen to the whole land it would be covered in what darkness and jesus would hang in darkness it wasn't just an eclipse some some coincidence that, that it, it got dark all of a sudden while it's hanging on the cross. No, it's not that kind of coincidence. It's the kind of intention that we talked about in Exodus when God was judging Egypt and he would put a darkness there that would cover in his wrath and judgment for three days, a darkness that you could feel in the depths of your soul. He would hang in darkness for three hours being judged under the wrath of a righteous and almighty God for not his sins, but for the sins of the world, for your sins. He would hang in darkness and he would he would be judged by God to the point where he says in darkness, my God, my God, why, why, why have you forsaken me? Why? You know why? Because of the darkness lovers. Because of the fact that you love darkness more than light. He would hang in darkness and take the darkness on himself and the judgment of God, the wrath of God. So that sinners, darkness lovers like you and I can be free from our love of darkness. We can, we can walk in the light. We can be exposed in the light. We can have fellowship in the light. We can repent and trust the light. And so he hangs in darkness to draw all these darkness lovers to himself. If they would have the light of life. If you're not a Christian, the Lord Jesus is inviting you today to be free from the darkness that will damn and destroy you the doom of darkness, the dark of night. He's calling you to be free and to have him as the light of your life because he is the only light of the world. God is holy. He will judge us. And we cannot escape his judgment unless we come to Christ who took that judgment for the only for, only for those who would escape by finding refuge in him. By his death, he has proclaimed light. If you're not following 
the true light, then you're doomed to the dark of night. Why should you trust and follow Jesus? Because you won't walk in the darkness, but you'll have a light of life. Because Jesus knows his destiny and his origin, so you can trust him. Because Jesus judges with God the Father. He doesn't judge according to human standards. He doesn't judge according to the flesh. You can trust him when he says he's the light of the world and the light of your life. Why should you follow Jesus? Because his hour would come. Indeed, his hour did come. He died on the cross for sinners, but he rose from the dead on Sunday. And that's what we celebrate. At the first moment of light on Sunday, the tomb was empty. And now the light of the world shines a light, bringing the new creation to all who would unite themselves to Jesus by faith. That's why we follow the light. Unlike Muhammad of Islam, unlike Buddha, unlike Moses and the Jewish religion, unlike even Christians, pastors, churches, unlike science, those who put their, their, their weight and their guidance in science, unlike all of these other sources of light, Jesus uniquely claims to be the sun. All of these other lights claim to be at best a moon reflecting the sun. So follow Jesus and not the moons in your life. Unlike your job, unlike your family or friends or your church or your finances or your health gurus, unlike your favorite sports team, the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James or the Dodgers or whatever sports team you have, all of these other lights, legitimate as they might be, are legitimate moons in your life. Christ is the sun. He is the light of your life. So follow him. Decide to follow Jesus as your light. If you're not a Christian, decide to follow Jesus as your light. Christians, increasingly walk together in light. We're a church of 108 members with a lot of darkness in our lives. Don't we have a lot of darkness in our lives? I mean, Brian came up here and confessed a little bit, right? But he even said at the end, Lord, there's a lot more that we don't even know. So we come on Sunday to somewhat be exposed, to talk to each other and ask each other how we're doing. And what are we getting from the Bible? And how's your week? So brothers, sisters, let's increasingly walk in the light of Christ together as a church family. Let's confess our sins. Let's be vulnerable. Let's go to Christ for forgiveness and strength and joy and restoration. Let's seek, to, let's seek Christ together. If you don't, you might deceive yourself as a fake Christian, or you might live your life as a true Christian, but basically dominated by a bunch of cheap and fading joys in your life. As you jump from one fading joy to the next fading joy to the next fading joy to the next fading joy. But if you decisively increasingly decide, I'm going to follow Jesus as a light of my life with my church family, then you will draw closer to Jesus. You will know his peace. You will know his security. You will experience his strength as you enjoy Christ as, as your light with a clear conscience. That's being cleansed and cleared again and again and again. I, wrote, I wore this shirt for one other reason. Besides the fact of it being a false and weak or cheap fading light. The Los Angeles Lakers. I wore this shirt because it does say LA. And you church family are. Jesus says that the Christians in John in Matthew 5.16. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Brothers and sisters we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world in Los Angeles. Bethany Baptist Church is a light in Southeast LA. We live for Christ and for LA. We live for our neighbors here in Bellflower. 
We live for your neighbors. You live, we live for your coworkers. We live for your family. We live for your neighborhood. We live for LA. We live to shine the light of Christ together. And so we scatter throughout the week as, as individuals of light, as little families of light. We scatter in our little city groups. And then we come back together to restore and strengthen each other for another week of shining the light. And we're not the only light in LA, are we? There's a lot of God-honoring, God Christ-exalting, gospel-preaching churches that are lights scattered across Los Angeles. And we live to encourage them as well, don't we? So brothers and sisters, let's come to the light ourselves. Let's share the light and life of Christ together. And let's shine the light of Christ to our neighbors. And let's encourage other churches to continue to shine the light of Jesus increasingly as we are scattered across Los Angeles. Bethany Baptist Church, you are the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world. So follow him and enjoy this light together. Let's pray. I'll give you 30 seconds to pray on your own and then I'll close our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world. You're the light of Beth Bethany Baptist Church. You're the light of our lives. We want to enjoy your light. So continue, Lord, to open the eyes of our hearts. Enlighten the eyes of our heart. That we might know the riches of your inheritance, the hope of your coming, and the immeasurable greatness of your power working in us who believe. Shine your light on us, Lord, and help us to enjoy coming to the light and growing in the light together. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you took on the darkness for us, that we might enjoy and have the light of life, your light of life. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen.